0: their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Today, I'm joined by the rather wonderful Tom Keir, and you're about to find out why he's rather wonderful. Tom is the CEO of Barclay Row International Lawyers. Tom used to practice as a solicitor in the litigation department, but now focuses on the growth of the practice and the well-being of his team. Tom has experience in handling a wide range of litigation cases and is also a regular contributor to international commercial journals. As well as all of this, Tom is an advocate of mental health matters and arranges open talks with professionals who are worried about their mental health. Thank you so much, Tom, Kia, for joining us. Uh, A gentleman I met, I'm going to call him a gentleman because he really is one of the loveliest professional people and most talented professional people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. We met over coffee one and a bit years ago, Tom, uh, and, yep. and this this podcast had to happen for all the reasons that the listeners are about to find out. So Tom Keir, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. It really is great to have you as one of our guests. Thank you so much for having me, Sandro. I'm very
1: excited about this. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. And um, certainly that, that that conversation we had was, uh, that coffee situation was wonderful. And I'm very excited to have this chat with you.
0: Well, I'm going to give you the prize for the smartest dressed podcast guest. No disrespect intended to any of the other guests that have gone before you. But sadly, uh, most of the listeners today won't get to see how dapper you look. Uh, but certainly on the YouTube channel, they will. So uh, thank you for making such an effort. You've put me to shame. Uh, Tom. Let's start with um, with your background. You know, wh- where where did it all start? Where are you from? Tell us a little bit about your family, because we, we always love to know a little bit about our guests before we start asking all the important questions. Sounds good.
1: Sounds good. Um, look, uh, I was born uh, in Iran, but uh, I was raised between Iran and uh, uh, London during my first couple of years. So so I'd really never really managed to root myself within, within the, the country. And... Uh, My father was a doctor. He was quite well-renowned for what he did. Uh, And so he kept on traveling and we kept on traveling with him. But fundamentally, uh, I I think all of these stories start when your ambition starts. That's the reality of this. And we finally made our move to the UK permanently. uh, And a few years after that, my father passed away and took with him the vast majority of our family's wealth. Now, One thing that's quite in tune with my work right now, as well as uh, my family, is that I come from a family of very happy people an incredible array of, you know, four brothers, one mom. And, and if you come, come come to our houses, our dinners, et cetera, you just find a lot of laughter and joy uh, within the group. So, uh, you know, when my father died, that was a massive hit to the family, both financially and psychologically. I got to see my mom depressed uh, for the very first time. But also more importantly, at the time, I sort of thought, you know, this is a harsh reality of life. Your father's dead and now you're broke. Uh, whereas now I see that as a developmental reality of life. You know, you're by yourself in this world, you have to find a way, find yourself, and help others as you do it. So, so I think it all started for me probably properly when my father died, and I was faced with these important developmental realities and ambition basically fired up in me that I needed to go out there and succeed and do something amazing, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's what I did. I think law was one of those subjects that I had a lot of interest in. I'm, I'm a massive history buff, and I needed a degree uh, that allowed me to explore history, while at the same time have a career at the end of it. And no disrespect to anyone who studied history, all power to you. I love that. Uh, and so I entered law. And as I entered the profession, with that burning ambition in me, uh, I worked through it. I became a very, very young partner in the city of London law firm. But I ended up paying a very, very heavy price for that ambition, for that drive, and for above all of these, ignoring my mental health. But I suppose we can cover that a little bit later. This is more yeah. of a intro
0: <laughs> we we will indeed and in fact in that in that um in that lovely answer you've just given tom there were yeah. three things i'd just like to touch on if i may um sure. one of the things when we first met for coffee uh, and got to know each other we we ascertained quite quickly that we had lots of kind of the synergies between us uh, one of which was losing our father at a young age um yes. and i'm interested to know because i'll come on to pick up on the other two things in a second but i'm interested to know how that kind of um you talk about laughter and joy in your family and we'll, we'll talk about that as well because that's i think an important part of success in in life and business um the the kind of the, the stereotypical great life the the mum the dad you know the relative trappings of success and then that sudden loss how how yeah. do you how, how do you advise people to to deal with i mean we deal with it in different ways of course how did you and your family deal with that, that shift from stereotypically a good way of living to, to tragedy, to loss, as you mentioned, your mum's depression. How, how do you how do you deal with that sudden transition from one place in life to another? Well, I think one of the ways you, you deal with it is to realise, and this is, this
1: is going to sound harsh, but I promise it's going to get better, is to realise that, that loss will only get harder as the years go by. You'll actually miss that individual more and more as the years go by and you begin to realize that lacking uh, of that father figure every year of your life that passes that actually goes up. It doesn't go down. But what does go up quite rapidly is the strength for you to deal with it. So for every one sad that you are, you become five stronger and it, it suddenly becomes something that that, that empowers you, so It becomes something that drives you. How do you deal with it? There is no one way to deal with grief like that. You you just basically have to let it take its course, and in a lot of ways, let it just go through you, and see what you can find in this disaster that's going to help you elevate yourself. Uh, I think the mistake people make is that they expect it to get very easy as the years go by, and actually, when you realize it's not going to get easier, it's going to get harder. So, what can I do to become stronger uh, and better uh, as a person, and to to sort of celebrate that person's memory and to complete their unfinished work. You know, a lot of people like you and me, Sandro, w- although you know, I had siblings and everything, we had to become our own father. We had to create this uh, imaginary vision of what would a father advise his son during this period. And, and if you look at the statistics, and I, and I did some research on it, at one point, something like 75% to 80% of CEOs from the Putsi 100 lost their father from a very young age. It is something that can really, really empower you.
0: Uh, and it's something you just need to accept. That, that that would be, I think, an appropriate response to that. Wow, 75 to 80% of uh, yeah. people lost their father. There is hope for me yeah. yet. Maybe one day I'll grow up to be <laughs> uh, a, a successful CEO. <laughs> you um, are a very just, successful man already. <laughs> just like you. Um, <laughs> laughter and joy. I don't yeah. think I've ever heard a podcast guest talk about laughter and joy, interestingly. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I stand corrected if I'm wrong on this. Um, But I love the fact that you've introduced this idea of laughter and joy into your family unit. And I know that the way you run your team is very much about empowering them to enjoy the experience. So let's just talk, if we may, a little bit about laughter and joy, because I think that's a lovely subject to talk about, particularly at the moment. Um, Why why is laughter and joy? Because it's funny, because in my family, I have a very, very close-knit relationship with my siblings, just like you've done. That whole empowerment thing about becoming the father figure, that resonates with me. I think at the same time, you'd agree that there's also a burden that comes with that empowerment. So, you know, there's this kind of diametrically opposed conundrum in your head as a young child that you're a father figure, but uh, at the Mm. same time you want to live your life. Maybe we'll explore that as well. But I love this this concept of enjoyment and embracing life and smiling and, and just enjoying the process. How how do you how do you do that even in your darkest moments? Well, look, you know, I'll give you, In fact, it's funny you should
1: say this because uh, something very recently happened to me, and I've got to share it with you. And, and you know, this is something you may think about, including this later <laughs> down the line. Last week, I was turned down uh, by, by by a wonderful, wonderful woman. She completely turned me down. She was like, "Not for me." And as 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 I'm listening to the voice note that she sent me, this is not this is word for word what happened. I step on a banana peel and I fall down. Okay. <laughs> it was a tough day as it was. And, and as soon as I hear this message, I'm like, oh no, that's not very nice. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, 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 and you know, uh, when, when you're down that badly, you've had a rough day, you got turned out and now you're physically on the floor. The only thing you can do is smile because it just can't get any worse, is it? And, and, and that's when you need to shift your thinking. How much of this do I have control over? The reality is nothing. So how, how does my way of thinking, how does my approach to this uh, is going to make it easier for me? Well, if I'm going to sit down in a corner depressed and sad, but that's not going to make it easier for me. It's going to make my time go uh, past even longer. But if I smile and laugh about it, and in my instance, call up my siblings and say, guys, you never guess what happened. Crappy day at work, you know, this girl turned me down and I fell down uh, (laughs) in front of everyone on a banana peel. This is as, as, as Hollywoody and comicky as it could physically get. Uh, so, so I think in your darkest moments, you just need to think this too shall pass. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's those darkest moments that you look, you need to look at and say, look, first of all, good news. I can listen to some, some sad music and really relate to it in the rain, walking around, going, oh, I'm so sad. You relish those feelings. These are what makes you human. But ultimately, one thing we know is to fight on. And as long as you fight on, you always win. That's yeah. all you need to do. It, like, the key to life's life is keep going. As soon as you keep going, a bad time will become a good time and a good time will become an even better time and a better time will become a great time. But if you stop, you stopped at that dark point, you're not going to see the end of it. So keep going, I think, is is, is the answer. And, and keep fighting, as one of my friends once said to me.
0: Well, all I can say, Tom, in response is if that young lady that turned you down is listening to the Sandre Forte podcast <laughs> today, she she should be ashamed of herself because she's... <laughs> She's let she's let a real catch on the line here because look at look, you know, look at you. Uh, good look, good looking guy, smart dresser, successful. I don't know. I don't know what she was thinking, Tom. Oh, no, you're um, far too kind. Far too. She was smart. She was smart. She dodged the bullet. Uh yeah, I think I think it's you being modest. Um so uh you're from Iran, as you mentioned. Yeah. Now iran is a has a very special place in my heart i've been there many times before as you know oh, wonderful. and yeah. uh quite apart from the fact that by the time i left uh iran every time i've been there i think seven times in the past i was it would be fair to say i was probably sick of chicken kebabs and rice but yes notwithstanding notwithstanding <laughs> um a, a really really wonderful place uh full of color and energy and some of the most beautiful people in the whole world and i mean You know, inner beauty. Um, I'm interested to know that as a man that originates from Iran, um, any any preconceptions around that? Do you do you find this is a general uh, subject? I'm not talking about Iranian people. But as a general topic, Tom, do you find that there's still are the people have these kind of stereotypical views of, you know, people that come from the Middle East or you know, I don't know. There's lots of examples I can give you, you know, two men walking down the street together. Therefore, by definition, they're not heterosexual. You know, all these kind yes. of yeah. preconceptions. Is that something that you still struggle with? Do you see the world changing in its view? Uh, I don't want to get too political in my questioning here. No, but no. I'm, I'm interesting because I, I I still see it all around the world and I just wonder how you deal with it.
1: Well, look, I, I think I think you you hit on a couple of very good points there, and, and your knowledge of Iran—I remember when we first spoke—was terrifying. Is really, really good, and it was it filled me with a lot of encouragement that people like you exist. I, th- I think there is a dichotomy there in the sense that I am from Iran. I love the culture, I love the history, and I've been there. And you're right, chicken kebabs are the best. Uh, but but I also feel a slight disconnect with my own people because culturally there there is a lot of misalignment there. Similarly, the same way I also could feel that in London when I'm having beers, my English friends thinking ah there's something missing there. That's where the concept of third culture kids come from. You create your own culture. In terms of misconceptions, there are misconceptions about everyone everywhere. You, you, you go to places like Dubai, they think English people are a bunch of rowdy, drunk people who throw up everywhere and want to cause a fight. Uh, and what they don't you know, really realize is that in London, we're driving innovation, we're pushing uh, boundaries and everything else like that. Similarly, whenever I meet people and I say to them, look, you know, I'm actually ethnically Persian. You know, they say, oh, yes, you must hate the current situation. I'm like, no, my people are still there. I mean, Iranians are still there. I mean, I don't care about governments or anything. There's still very innovative people there. And when you start talking to them about what Iran's contributed to the world, that the thinking begins to change. Uh, you know, common misconceptions are everyone in Iran is ultra-Islamic. Uh, a, a recent study actually by the Washington Post proved that in terms of culture, Iran, Britain, and the West, the people are far more aligned than any other country in the Middle East. So the people themselves are a lot more culturally aligned to the West. And, and, you know, when when people can't see past, especially in an age, and I I hope we can cover this a little bit uh, more further, especially in the age of social media, where that can be used to find, follow, see what people are doing in a particular country. I think that just comes from lack of education, but I don't think we should, deal with harshly with people who don't know anything. If someone, as my boxing trainer recently said to me, he's from Uganda, I know nothing about Uganda. And he, he taught me stuff. And, and I think through culture, food above all, and entertainment, we can really bring people together. The misconception is that, you know, you've been dealt this card, deal with it. There's, there's one thing about crying in a corner going, oh my God, Iranians are not Arabs, we're not all terrorists. The other thing is, what, what are you gonna do about it to change that perception? Uh, and I think it is changing. The generations are improving, and the younger uh, people I've come across with are much more uh, connected.
0: N- uh, note to self here: Tom Kier is a boxer, therefore don't have an <laughs> argument with Tom uh, down the pub. <laughs> um, <laughs> I-, I tell you, I tell you one thing I will share with the listeners because um, you know we we have tens of thousands of them all around the world, and many of them won't have been privileged enough to have to have visited a beautiful country. But the one thing I'm going to say about Iran, which is amazing, is if anyone listening ever wants a lesson in speed dating, go to Iran. And I know Tom Tom is now laughing because he knows what <laughs> I'm going to say. I have never in all my life ever been to a place where people date out of the car windows. Tom, tell me if I'm wrong here. So you're you absolutely can, spot on. You can you can be the passenger as I was in a car, the driver at the traffic lights with all the car stationary leans out of his car window with his business card hands it to a good-looking woman in the car next to him and the following day they meet up i mean how fantastic <laughs> is that um, so it's a very open society it's one who needs, who needs social media when you've when you've got that kind of thing going on um anyway let's, let's not get carried away with with iran and, and all of this, uh wonderful wonderful uh, beauty yeah it really is yeah. uh, I encourage anyone to go there if they can. So, um, yeah. mental health. I know that's something that's very important to you, Tom, and, and kudos to you because, you know, you're a, you're a, as I said earlier, a good looking, successful guy, done loads of stuff, got the world to his feet. Why on earth would you want to help other people? Why on earth would you want to focus on something, you know, uh, as like mental health, though it is very topical and relevant. Um, you are a great supporter and, and fundraiser of a number of the charities, which, Focus on this topic. The obvious question is why?
1: Right. I, I think uh, uh, you always do this section where people overcome things uh, and we can talk about that later, but it's because I experienced it. As I said, I come from a family of very, very happy people. You know, we jump around, we joke, etc. So to be within that family and within the circles of friends that I was and go through a mental health issue was complicated because I couldn't really communicate it to everyone because as soon as I wanted to say anything, someone would say something to make me laugh. Uh, so it was impossible to do it, but, but I went through it. Um, and you know, once you go through it and you talk to other people about it, you realize actually, oh my God, other people have been through it. They just don't talk about it enough. And, you know, when I was going through it at my time, I thought there is no cure to this. I'm, I'm stuck with this for the rest of my life. And as I began to talk to people, they introduced me to therapists or whatever methods that they use. And I realized it's perfectly curable. So why is it that we're not talking about it? I'll give you an example, Sandro. 80% of suicides are carried out by men. Uh, 72% of all homeless people are men. Homelessness is a mental health problem. It's not just a crack problem. It's a mental health problem. So, so, so if this number, this staggering number is looking at us in the face, why are we not discussing it? And mental health is something I support from a wide range of bases. You know, so, so I think every aspect of society has to have a mental health arm to it. One example, when my niece uh, Sophia was born, I looked at her, I went through this existential moment where I was like, look, how can I make the world a slightly kinder place for her? How can I make it so that as she's growing up, she, she, she's surrounded by an element. Of course, she'll have her challenges, but much, a much more kinder society than I was in. And that sort of thing drives you towards different charities. One of the charities I support that deals with um, a sudden baby death syndrome, that's babies who die within the first year, the Lullaby Trust. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 the second one is the NPS Society, who helped with um, families where the baby's not going to make it, or the child is not going to make it to the two, two digits years. Uh, and on the face of it, these two charities are dealing with a disease, sudden baby death syndrome and NPS. In reality, they are mental health charities. They support the parents through the grieving process, the siblings, as they grow up with a sibling that they're going to outlive. Um, And and when you look at all these different things that are happening at the same time to our mental health, why not address it? We've managed to get heart on point. The human heart is right now one of the most advancedly researched organs on the planet. The problem, in fact, we're having is that people are living until 120 years old. And the other organs, we don't know that much about. The heart beats until the very end, but the rest are all failing. Hence, now we're seeing developments in Alzheimer's and how to correct it. Well, why don't we now focus on the mental health elements? Why don't we now focus the thing that's killing more men right now than a lot of other things that are killing us? Mm. Uh, and that, that, that's that's why I was passionate about it. And, you know, as you know, let, let's use the term for, for labs, alpha males. You know, we're the loudest, uh, we jump uh, the highest and we try and keep, keep being center of attention. But if you have that platform, show the weakness, deal with it. Yeah, I think it takes a lot of strength to say I have a mental health problem and I hope everyone can say that.
0: I hope oh, I hope no one has it, uh, but I hope those that do have it talk about it. Mm. That's a really philosophical view of, of a subject that I think so few people know anything about. I think people perhaps shy away from it, Tom, because they don't feel they know about it. But the way you've just articulated that, Ultimately, as you so rightly put it, you know, if you lose, uh, you know, a baby or a a child in its infancy, then the mental um, the the, the mental debilitation that follows is is something that people almost ignore because they focus on the in this particular example, the death of a child but not the implications and the ramifications of what comes next. So I think that is a a really good way of of highlighting that this is a bigger problem than I think most people think it is. Uh, Again, without wanting to get too political about this, what are your views, therefore, on social media? We touched on on those two words earlier on. You know, I think there's lots of people out there that take social media for granted. We We see all the great things that social media does, but does social media have an impact on mental health as well, in your opinion. In other words, is it it a positive influence in our life? Is it a negative influence or is it a bit of both? I'd say
1: uh, over 90% negative influence. Okay, and that's me talking to professionals involved in this. And that comes from education, not from anything else. It's not social media's fault. It's it's people's perception of social media. Um, but, but, But I think social media is here to stay and we must use it. It's a very powerful, wonderful... Amazing communication tool. Sandra, I'm sure you've reached thousands of people with with your activities on social media and you've made some amazing differences uh, by by doing that. And you've probably, as you've done your speeches, been posted about by tens of thousands of people and influenced them positively. The problem with social media is people take it as reality. Social media is a form of media. Your newscaster isn't going to turn up to the 10 o'clock news with a whiskey in his hand hung over, you know, unshaven. He's going to be made up, shaped, well-dressed, and then he presents. And that's what people do on social media. They, they post, they filter, uh, they stretch the photos to make their legs longer and make themselves look much more beautiful than they are. And they're only going to post about good things. They're never going to post about bad things. And, and people think, I know this person, he lives down the road from me, she lives down the road from me, And and, and, and she's living this amazing, wonderful life. And my life is a misery. Not realizing a lot of that is complete lies. It's it's not real. It's just there to get likes. Similarly, I think uh, another problem with social media is that the wrong messages are being thrown because they're quotes people just want to consume. Right. So, you know, often on my Instagram, I see people uh, write, you know, if if, if your man isn't 100% with you all the time, it's time to get rid of it. And they give these very false, fake fairy tale perceptions of, of what a perfect relationship is. They don't cover all the problems you're going to have with your wife or the challenges you need to go through, raising kids, sleeplessness, lack of money. All they say is if it's not 100 percent, get rid of it. And I think these things need to be just matured in social media and gotten rid of. But any psychiatrist and, and psychologist is going to say right now, today, social media is playing a very, very negative role in people's mental health. Again, on the perception, my social media God help you, if you ever follow me on Instagram, it, it, it is an absolute crap show. I'm just filled with a lot of silly things, making making myself look like a complete fool, writing a whole bunch of things that's just there so that if they click on my name, all they see is a joke that they can laugh about at my expense. Um, and that, I think, is if more people take that approach or just share very nice, neutral, positive messages, social media can improve and then we can use that to make impact. Uh, so that, that's what I would say. Long-winded answer. But the answer is yes, negative now. In the future, very positive.
0: I, th- I No, I'm, I'm sat here <laughs> um, thinking the contrary. I think um, it, you've put that very succinctly. And, and I, I think back to when we first met. And again, to the stereotype that we, we talked about earlier, Tom, you know, here I am looking at this smartly dressed guy who's a very successful lawyer but not talking like a lawyer, but there is a very, there's my stereotypical view of, of what a lawyer might look and sound like. So, um, you know, and I, and I I have to say, I, again, I kind of doff my cap to you um, at, at the, the, the level of your and depths of the, of your knowledge uh, clearly well thought through well, researched clearly know your stuff. Um, and, and I guess, therefore it's no wonder that you have been given the job of developing your, your business and implementing growth. Um, how, If we can, Tom, let's just talk about what makes your business successful. Because I, you know, when I first met you, I was really taken by how much care and attention you put into the development of your people, the forming of good relationships with your clients. It's, in other words, it's not a transactional business. That's what struck me. It's very much one that says, you know, you as a client are a member of our family, and that family has been developed and nurtured, and you just don't see many of those. So, what what were the what were the philosophies upon which you built uh, such a successful business? Sure,
1: um, so, so I cut. You know, the, the the corporate and the legal elements were passed on to my business partner Mark, who basically managed the you know all the compliance, everything else himself. I said to him, "I'm not interested in any of that. All I want to do is help people become better people. That's all I want to focus on, and that's my role, day in day out." And uh, we 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 studied and came up with we studied and signed up. Let's say to this concept of shared purpose. That is, all of us are signing up to one single purpose, and that's the core of our business. Okay, and our purpose was the eradication of mental health problems in the workplace. And that is that. That's a bold statement because what we're basically saying is we will not have a situation where a member of staff within our monitoring uh, 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 under our monitoring is having mental health problems. Now, there's one thing to say, we have stress stress management uh, uh, facilities. Stress management is wonderful. Yeah, uh, humans uh, uh, do their best under a lot of stress. When, When you're under significant stress, you perform at your best, you're optimal in the way you perform. But, but anxiety and depression are crippling. They're not good for you. And what we saw in a lot of law firms was every time someone has anxiety, they basically say, look, stress is a part of the profession, you can get over it. I saw that as completely uh, below par. I, I, and suddenly uh, the people that are supposed to look after all lawyers generally didn't have that view. It's all about stress management. And, and so our view was what we're going to do is we're going to target the biggest problem. When you, when you go to a construction site, people are wearing hard hats, they're wearing high buys, they're wearing gloves. What are lawyers and professionals wearing in the workplace? Nothing. They're doing nothing to protect their mental health. So what we said was every now and again, we're going to have a psychiatrist uh, come in and analyze members of the team. If you have a runny nose, you have a cold, I can spot it. If you have a cough, ooh, you probably got COVID, you know, we can spot it. But if you're going through something and lawyers in particular, we bloody good at hiding it. But what the psychiatrist does is they just come and talk about in depth about anxiety, depression, and all these OCD, all these other mental health disorders. And the idea is that they're throwing this net wide and they're saying to the members of the team, by the way, if any of these seems to be matching what you're going through right now, why don't we just have a chat about it? And And, and, and then what we get from them is a simple note, completely confidential, uh, one of your people is talking to us. This is the bill for it. Fine, perfect. I don't need to know who and how. Just make sure they're looked after to the best of their ability. Uh, we, uh, I think any psychiatrist or psychologist for their salt uh, will tell you as a matter of fact that sport is a huge part of developing your mental health and making it better. So we made sport mandatory in the workplace on us. Go at 10 a.m., go at 3 p.m., go, at, go, go during my time. I don't mind. Go ahead and do it. And what that creates is, and we also do team sports once a month, or rather we did um, to make sure that they realised that at all levels of the firm, we're taking sports very seriously. Uh, And that meant a lot of doing sporting activities together. A lot of people just going to do sports left, right, and center and getting that mental health support together with, and I hope one day you'll accept our invitation and talk to uh, the team together with very, very good speakers like yourself coming in every now and again, inspiring the team. We saw that actually while we're busy being focused on helping our staff look after themselves and our staff being our clients fundamentally, productivity has gone up by 25%. We grew by 200% during COVID. Uh, it, it, we've trained staff to look after themselves. And when they are able to look after themselves, they look after their clients. And whichever clients we ever sign up, ever at any point, I say to them, look, I'm not a lawyer, as a matter of fact. I'm there to help you and my team members gel together and to look after you from a mental health level. Litigation, for example, is incredibly stressful. It's, you know, every single day you will get these very harsh, evil letters from the other side. And I'm there to help them saying, this is a natural part of litigation. These lawyers have not been paid to say, hey, we really like your client, but do you mind if we do this and that? They've been paid to scare you. And when you bring this human element, clients signed up to our shared purpose of, no mental health problems in the workplace insofar as we can fight for it. Staff have done it. And this collective approach has resulted in
0: higher productivity, happier workforce, happier clients, happy everyone, really. Mm. I really do appreciate And I, I know I speak on behalf of uh, many, many, many listeners from 48 countries, I think it is now, uh, including Iran, dare I say, yeah, amazing. Uh, which, is, which is great. But I know I speak for all of us and saying, you know, some of the messages and, and thoughts that you've shared, Today have been have been enlightening because they've been so authentic and so honest. And I and I think what I've picked up personally is this this ability to you know accept what life has to offer and, and the challenges that it throws at us sometimes. Um, how to deal with it, how to connect with other people, whether it's family, friends, to engage in some activity that de-stresses us, um, and and kind of to look for. Uh, to to, to remain in contact with with all the fundamentals in life. Um, So they've been fantastic lessons for us all to take away. And and I do thank you sincerely for those. Um, Tell us a little bit about how we might connect with you if we wish to, because uh, lots of our guests suddenly become very popular because all the subscribers, and there are lots of them, which I'm very thankful mm-hmm. for, uh, want to connect. They want to check you out. So, uh, website, Instagram. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On the basis that you mentioned earlier, that uh, your Instagram posts t- tend to be very self-deprecating. <laughs> um, how, how do we? How do we find yeah. out about all the crazy things that you're up to? So, um, um, how, how do we? How do we connect with you? Sure. LinkedIn is just Tom Kia. The website,
1: uh, it will go to Barclay Row. Uh, I'm going to be focusing on my own mental health developmental programs coming to the future. But website will be Barclay Row, which will be on anything. And my email will be Kia T-O-M-K-E-Y-A at BarclayRow.com. Instagram is Kia, but follow me at Entirely Your Own Risks uh, because you're not going to see anything interesting there. It's all self-deprecation. It's a lot it. of just laughing at myself and the world.
0: Uh, <laughs> the first, the first <laughs> podcast guest in two and a half years to ever add a caveat, a risk warning to, uh, <laughs> to, to the social media links. I love it. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I have to say, I am, I'm so looking forward to our next coffee. Well, may, it might be a beer yeah. next time, but I'm so looking Definitely. forward to, to meeting up with you again. I've, I've always been struck. I was struck immediately and it doesn't happen often. Uh, with, with just what a a, a, a totally real, authentic, true gentleman you are. And, and yeah. extraordinarily successful and very, very professional. And, uh, and I knew you. that you wouldn't disappoint um, on the Saturday 40 podcast today. Um, Tom Keir, thank you so much um, for joining us. But before we go, uh, you may, you may know this, you may not, but every single guest cannot leave the show without being asked one question. And the question is very simple. Let's imagine that that girl didn't turn you down. She, uh, she accepted your proposition. She became your wife. You had children. And in a few years time, uh, your son came up to you and said, dad, I have, I've watched in awe at all you've achieved in life. And now that I'm embarking on a journey myself, what is the one thing with all of your experience in life and business that you could share with me that would help me to become the very best version of myself I could be? I mean, you'll have lots of, lots of advice for that young man." But what's the one thing above all others, Tom, that you would give by way of advice? I would give that advice, but do you mind if it's a slightly long-winded bit of advice? That's I'll fine. give it one
1: point. That's absolutely sure. fine. So look, you know, you see me happy, jumping up and down, smiling as, as I am. The best I've ever been in terms of uh, me. I'm right now probably fighting a few challenges as, as we speak. And in October 2017, I came to a realisation, something I'd never experienced before, and that is. Throughout 2016 and 2017, I had burnout and didn't even know it. And I hid it by doing lots of sport, drinking mental health medication substantially. And if you saw the person I was during that period, uh, you'd see a completely different human being. And I hated myself. I despised myself. I despised the world. I was was a very horrible person. I broke hearts. Everything you can imagine that is wrong with society, I think I personified during that period. Uh, and, And when I was on my way, Down And naturally, people like that always fall inherently. Uh, I I lost everything. And and during that moment, a friend of mine, who I will refer to as a very good friend of mine, uh, she said uh, two words, and they've stuck with me throughout. She said, keep fighting. And I think uh, that's what I would say to, 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 to my son. I'd say to him, you're going to make deliberate mistakes. I have very little memory of 2017, generally. I have very little memory of it. And I'm going to say, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make very stupid mistakes. And you're going to be responsible for this, make those mistakes. Own those mistakes. And then fix yourself. And if you don't fix yourself and you don't rehabilitate yourself, no one else will do that for you. Mm-hmm. So the path towards rehabilitation, not the path towards success, ambition, or anything else. The path towards rehabilitation is the path you must fight on. As soon as you have this vision that I'm going to be this person, that's where I want to go. This is my target. Everything that happens in between becomes part of the journey. It doesn't look like setbacks anymore. It doesn't look like defeats anymore. It looks like a necessary developmental part of of what you're going to become. And you begin to accept it a lot better. So, you know, I wanted to change mental health. I wanted to make it a much more open thing. Along the way, some of the mistakes I had would catch up with me. Fine. They're bad. I'll deal with them because my goal is up here. It's about changing mental health issues, and I think, and I think uh, that that keep fighting mentality. That that fighting isn't about fighting the world, but actually fighting your, uh, your, your your inner. Uh, I'm not gonna use. T- I hate inner weakness, but 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 the things in, inside of you that stop you from becoming a better person. If you keep fighting that, and if you don't stop fighting that, then I then I think then I think you that that's the path to to real success, mm. to real. Uh,
0: change um, and you become a happier human being just like me <laughs> that's what I would say <laughs> well you are a happy human being um, well <laughs> all I can say to you Tom is thank you of course for joining us keep, keep yeah. fighting uh, in the sense that what you're doing to change the perception of mental health in, in society and in the workplace is extraordinary so you know uh, long may you continue to, to, to fight for so many people uh, look forward to seeing you again very soon and, Very uh, excited. And, and sharing lots of other thoughts and anecdotes and musings of life and, and business. Um, but in the meantime, Tom, Kia, thank you so much for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Sandro, and I can't wait to see you.